Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, ah, let's take a deep breath and really enjoy this, people. This hey, is our Adam. chance to be together. Yes? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean no. to interrupt No, 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 Bonnie, please. No, go ahead. Say it again. No. Okay. Hey, Adam. Yes, Bonnie? No, I think you should say the, I think you should say that first line again. It was good. Uh, all right. This is our chance to be together is what I was going to say. Okay. Oh. <laughs> all right. Hey, Adam. Yes, Bonnie. <laughs> Do you know what a yellow dog Democrat is? No, what's a yellow dog Democrat? You know what? We might have to pick that part up because I didn't have time to look it up. I had it, but now I can't <laughs> remember. Okay, wait. It's a Southern term. I think it might be that even if a dog were running for office, if he was a Democrat, a person would vote for him. Oh, yes, yes, the old Southern Democrat thing, the yellow dog Democrat, yes. Yeah. Well, once again, our show is supposed to be funny and informative, and I was just informative. We haven't even started the show yet, Bonnie. Do you mind if I kind of cut in and do that? No, I just like talking to you. Stop it, you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, remember when President Trump was impeached? No, not the one where he caused an insurrection to stop Joe Biden from becoming president. I'm talking about the time he threatened Ukraine and the stability of all of Europe to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president. Good times. Well, tonight we welcome one of the few heroes of that sordid chapter in our history. Fiona Hill is on the program. No, not the Hill who testified before Congress about Clarence Thomas and was so poorly treated that it almost prevented Joe Biden from becoming president. I'm talking about the Hill who testified before Congress and was so poorly treated by congressmen who wanted to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president. Yes, that Fiona Hill. She's here. And then, if you don't have anything nice to say, well... You're probably one of our fans. It's Mailbag! <laughs> I'm Adam Felber, your unimpeachable source of high-quality intel, carefully connecting all the dots to fashion a credible and coherent narrative for this podcast. And now, please welcome the secret agent, the mole, if you will, sent here from the country of conversational chaos, it's Paula Poundstone. Yay! Yay! <laughs> 
lovely to be with you. It's You know what? This is really a highlight of my week. I'm not sure I've always thought of it that way, but uh, maybe the days are getting... I I actually... Have you guys all gotten your boosters yet? Uh, no, not yet. No. I made my appointment. There. I actually have someone who is close to me, someone that is an anti-vaxxer, someone that won't get vaccinated. When I asked them about it, they said they wouldn't do it because they saw online that you get magnetized. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's very hard to talk to someone who says something like that. I mean, at first I was like, well, that's idiocy. And then, you know what? After I left the conversation with them, I realized that my logic is all wrong. The answer is, you know what? Even if that's true, how many hours have I spent looking for my keys? If I could just get out of the car and stick them to my forehead, that would be fantastic. You know how you're like, pat your pockets and stuff? Like, how how helpful to have a friend or maybe my assistant Wendell say, no, they're on your forehead. Uh, fantastic. Or, you know, when you're in a restaurant and you, you knock your fork off the table and you have to, you know, say, waiter, can I get another fork? What if you could just lower your head quickly and catch the fork with your magnetic forehead appeal? <laughs> no, no, I listen. And the other thing is, I'm always trying to figure out ways to make money. I would do birthdays. I would do, like, birthday parties for kids if I was magnetized. Uh, you know, it's a excellent. You know, I, I did learn mime right on this podcast. Uh, and that's probably something that I could use as one of my birthday party skills. Magnetism? Yeah, don't you think? Possibly. Uh, what kind of magnet tricks are you, uh, are you planning to entertain the kids with? I don't know. Just I, I mean, like jacks, for example. Jacks, you, you know. I, you know, the 12s <laughs> were always very hard. But if you drop the ball and then you just... And then you swing your hand over them and they cling to it. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So I think there is an upside... Yes. I don't think I could have convinced my friend that there was no such thing, but I do think I could have impressed upon... You know what? I just realized that I was screaming into the microphone. Oh. I was so excited. Yeah, and and we, we have promised our editor, Vic, that we would stop screaming into the microphone. Vic said to... Um, Vic is our editor, and he said, pretend the microphone is someone's ear. Yeah. And actually, though, I would scream on that topic because I would be like, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you want to be magnetic. It, it, being magnetic isn't a bad thing. You know, yeah. you might be able to get your friend vaccinated by, by using that argument. I'll say that much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, I probably couldn't get him out of the car because isn't the car metal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just going to be stuck on the side of the car. <laughs> God. Wow. I'll just stick him on the side of the car and then have the the, the vaccination come out to him. Uh, and by the way, would they stop showing arms? I don't want to see any more upper arms. Thank you. Enough. You don't like upper arms? Wait, what just happened? I don't like it when they show on the news. People's, you know, they keep showing the vaccinations. That's not helpful. Oh, I see. We all know what a vaccination looks like. We don't need to see it anymore. Now, it sounds to me like you're a little phobic of needles. I am, but uh, and there may be somebody out there that's like me that that maybe that's why they haven't. I am vaccinated, but maybe that's why they haven't been, and they're not drawing that person any closer to getting vaccinated by showing all those people getting shots on TV. It's the news's responsibility to show you the things that they're talking about. 
They talk about birth. They don't show a placenta falling out of a woman. It's not necessary. We don't have to. It's just we don't need every gory detail of everything. Okay. I hear you on that. It's a frustration to me, Adam. It's a daily frustration. And this, uh, spending time with you guys, having a little laugh, putting on my Mr. Rogers sweater, and then it lifts me up from the otherwise difficult burden of people like that (laughs) well i'm glad to hear it and thank you um i'm pleased to report that one thing that we won't be doing today is uh talking about eat pray love hey adam oh yeah adam we finished it bonnie we don't have a book club we don't have a book club we don't have a book club meeting today wow that's that's groundbreaking bonnie a theme song for something we're not doing well, we still have a book club. We just haven't yet chosen our next book. That's all. Which brings me to that, which is that um, our fans who uh, visit our Facebook page might notice if you look on Facebook that um, Tony Anita Hull has asked you to suggest books for the book club. Oh, good. Uh, we've made some poor decisions in the past, notably Eat, Pray, Love, and we're gonna we're gonna throw it open to your <laughs> suggestions for what should be our next book club book. So if you haven't already, run over to that Facebook page for Nobody Listens to Ball of Poundstone and uh, chime in. I was thinking Grey's Anatomy. The actual book? Yeah. It's a page turner, if you do it right. This is why we're throwing it open to our listeners, Paula, because (laughs) (laughs) that would be the worst book club ever. Um, But since we don't have book club, we're going to do something that we haven't done in a long time. We're going to go around the horn. Let's go to Sherman Oaks, California, where Tony Anita Hull is uh, in her apartment. Yeah, hey. How's everyone? Hey, Tony. Good, Tony. What's new? I'm using my microphone like a friend's ear. Hey, Adam. (laughs) Yes. Adam, have you seen Tony? <laughs> not, in a, not in a while. There's been this pandemic. Yeah. She's in a bigger apartment than she she used to be in her Polly Pocket apartment. She's in the Citizen Kane house now. Mansion? Yeah. Really? She's, yeah, she's in a huge mansion. I, I didn't realize she'd stepped up in the world. Hey, Paula? Yeah. We were just asking her what's new in her life. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I'll talk to you later. Don't mention the Anshin May. <laughs> Uh, so, Tony Anita Hull, what's new? Um, well, before I tell you, can I ask you a quick question? Well, yeah, sure. Who's the house band tonight? Oh, <laughs> my. Oh, did I just shout into the microphone again? Oh. I want to thank tonight's house band, nobody, and returning champ Corey Springhorn from Shoreview, Minnesota, on the trumpet. Corey, your presence here on the show is so familiar and so comfortable that we plumb forgot to introduce you, but welcome back. Yeah. You know, he's playing way in the back of Tony's mansion. <laughs> Nothing. All right. Uh, Tony, tell us what's new. Um, I joined the gym again. Very exciting. What time do you go? Do you go in the morning, Tony, or do you go at night? I go in the evening. So I'll uh-huh. go after we're done taping tonight. Do you use a lot of the equipment? Is that the thing? Well, I, I like to use the treadmill and the stair mill and then the BOSU balls and things like that. Oh, that's that half ball? That's a half ball, yeah. Yeah, that you stand on? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, like a balance thing. And then yeah. also, um, to make it more challenging, people will carry like a, a hot pot of tea. <laughs> yeah, you got to be very careful with that, yeah. 
Tony, let me ask you, how close to your your apartment is the uh, is the gym? It's about a mile away, so not too far. It'll take me a couple minutes to get there. Fantastico. To me, that's always like the way that people stop going to the gym once they have a membership. They're like, ah, I don't feel like going all the way over there. Oh, see, if I'm paying my $26 a month, I'm going to use it. <laughs> that's how I feel about Reese's peanut butter cups. Like if I'm paying $26 a month for bags of Reese's peanut butter cups, by God, I'm going to eat them. That's, yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I eat all the Reese's cups out of the Halloween candy. Or I put it out for the day. Felt really bad. Ooh. But I didn't mean to. I just did. Well, you, you, you should have pulled the Bonnie Burns maneuver. Just, you know, I don't know what she did this year. Maybe did she light her house on fire and leave? <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie does complete avoidance of Halloween. And you know what? Speaking of Bonnie, let's go visit her. Up in the Simi Valley, there's Bonnie Burns. Welcome, Bonnie. Hi, you guys. Hey, Bonnie. Hi, Paula. I actually have a quick question for you. Uh So my way of knowing where my keys are is that when I walk through the door, I throw them on the floor. And there's just... You throw them (laughs) on the floor? Yeah, just you walk through, you throw them on the floor. That way, they're always there. You know where they are. I threw them on the floor when I walked through the door. Yeah. So my question is, if I got my forehead magnetized with the keys, like jump back up at me? Yeah, I think it would. Yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. Well, that'd be fun. Yeah. I remember that time I went to your house and uh, I slid across the kitchen floor because my foot hit a key. (laughs) (laughs) Throw him on the floor. I don't know. It's kind of no fuss, no muss. I don't think we're ever going to get to hanging the hook for the keys in this house. It's just (laughs) would be so far down. Oh, so wait. So you have a hook, but you just haven't hung it? Uh, We bought some hooks that we never hung. I don't know if any of them would be small enough (laughs) to put a key on there. Is that one of the things that you wrote on the whiteboard that you had that time? No, I don't have that down. But, like, I do have things down on that whiteboard, like call the electrician because it's completely dark in front of our house, which is not the best. And that's been for maybe eight months. (laughs) And it's been on my list to do. Yeah. It's completely dark. We have an entryway. You can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I'm sure you would do that item off your whiteboard if you could only see it. (laughs) I still haven't gotten to the point where I say what's new, Bonnie Burns. Oh, sorry. I was going to tell you what I did for Halloween this year since you asked. Okay. All right. Well, I don't imagine the children could see the house, could they? Well, that's one problem. So you'd think, right, that they would just not even bother coming up. I would think that. But I had decided this year I wasn't going to mess around anymore about putting the candy out. Somebody would steal the candy. So I just set a reminder in my head that October 31st, what the date was, and I just wasn't going to stay downstairs where you could see me in the big picture window because we've never gotten around to ordering blinds so people can't see inside. Oh, because you don't have curtains? Blinds. Yeah. To hang over the picture window so people can't see inside. Probably... For three years, let's just say. Okay, so I don't want to give you the wrong impression of our place. So far, this sounds a lot like the koala enclosure at the L.A. Zoo. I know. <laughs> Plus, There's a the couch thing. where you stow your snacks between the cushions. Oh, I forgot about that. I know, there's that, too. Here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, the picture that is emerging of your house, Bonnie, is... <laughs> 
Right. I would like I would like to encourage our listeners to to draw or Photoshop what they think Bonnie's house looks like. Send it to us or post on the Facebook page. <laughs> oh my God, your house is in such need of an intervention, Bonnie. It kind of yeah. is. Yeah. Remember we had the we had the organizer one time a long time ago. Uh, my guess is that uh, if the organizer worked with Bonnie and her daughter. Um, that she would just drive them out in the desert somewhere and let them go. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or this might be the thing that breaks her and makes her not be an organizer anymore. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I know. What about you, Adam? What about you? What's new with me? Well, here's what's exciting. I, I'm doing stuff, uh, you know, trying to get the word out about my book. And what's exciting is, you know, we do pre-tape. We tape before the, the show. By the time this show is heard by our listeners... My book will be in the bookstores. Wow. That's great. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's great. Very exciting. And so I've received my copy, and it's a hardcover book, and I just, I, I walk by it, and I pick it up and put it down several times a day. Oh, that's nice. That's pretty much my day nowadays. Is I, I, I walk by that book, I take the dust jacket oh. off, look at it, put it back. You might want to laminate your book so you can suck on it without hurting it. <laughs> um, oh, my God. <laughs> on that. Paula, do you have a word? Oh I do have a word, Adam. It's palanquin. Palanquin? It's a noun that means a covered litter for one passenger consisting of a box carried on two horizontal poles by four or six bearers. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. There's an obnoxious commercial for an online viewing service where a woman is being carried through the desert on a palanquin. Mm. Wow. Adam, if I could, uh, I'd like to use the word <laughs> in a recreational setting. Oh, oh, my gosh. I didn't even hear you come in, uh, 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 Senator Sanders. Uh, th there's a lot of dust in here. It may have baffled the sound. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome, Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, we'd love to have you use palanquin in a recreational setting. Thank you, Compass Head. Uh, I will tell you that I had been in negotiations with Senator Joe Manchin for hours and hours over these recent weeks. It was difficult, especially here in the pressure cooker that is our nation's capital. As most people know, camping, survival in nature, brings people together. So Joe and I went camping together. Okay. Unfortunately, it did not bring out the best in Senator Manchin. He insisted on using coal for the fire, and he refused to use vegan marshmallows in the s'mores. <laughs> I made those concessions because the bigger issues, the more important issues, of course, are the improvements we can make in the lives of our workers and families. I said to him, Joe, what more can we possibly give you to get you to stop standing in the way of this bill? He told me that he wanted to travel the rest of the trip on a palanquin, which I understood from him meant a covered litter for one passenger consisting of a large box carried on two horizontal poles by four or six bears. I thought it was odd. <laughs> But we've caved to this guy on everything he wanted, so why not this? I got six bears to come lift the horizontal poles, and not surprisingly, <laughs> they ate them. As it turns out, it was an unfortunate misunderstanding, 
He meant barrels. Four to six barrels. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tragedy. It really is a tragedy. It, it was. I hope I've been of some help. Thank you for having me. Goodbye, Compass Ed. <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you, Senator Sanders. It was great of you to drop by. Wow, Paula, that was that, that was quite a thing. We gotta get this word uh, right into the vocabulary. Song, palanquin. That's what it is. Palanquin. Uh, yes. So that this error is never made again. Uh oh. Rusty there. This week's word is palanquin. It's a noun that means a covered litter for one passenger consisting of a large box carried on two horizontal poles by four or six bearers. Not a mode of transportation for really great sharers. Last week's <laughs> word was maunder. It's a verb that means talk in a rambling manner. Someone who talks about Archie Comics, Salad Spinners, Mood Rings, and Matthew McConaughey in a talk on oil prices isn't a very good speech planner. The week before that, the word was mephitic. It's an adjective that means smelling very unpleasant, like a really old dead pheasant. Going back before that, the word was perspicacious. It's an adjective that means having a ready insight into an understanding of things. I can tell birds can't fly without wings. I must be perspicacious. And not long ago, <laughs> the word was flagitious. It's an adjective that means criminal, villainous, like whoever keeps talking Tony and Nita Hall into going on cruises and leaving us. Let's never forget Gallimaufry which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Yay. <laughs> wow. Questionable Ooh. clock work, but a, but a, but yeah, a great yeah. a great yeah. song this week. You know, I I was yeah yeah I was I was improvising more on the clock than I usually do. Oh, I thought maybe you just had uh, you know because it was a busy week for you. Maybe you hadn't had a time to have a session with your clock instructor. Oh my god, no! Hours and hours and hours of practice this week. Unbelievable. All right. Well, it was good. You know, you know what? I knew the word palanquin because of my youth spent reading. That word in sci-fi and fantasy books. Well, you know what? I think I said palanquin. It's not palanquin. It's palanquin. The accent is on the keen. Well, I wouldn't have known how to pronounce it anyway because I just read it to myself in books. Oh, yeah. Remember you had that book, The Adventures of the Palanquin Writer? Yeah, that yeah. was the one. Yeah. If you spent your youth reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy books, you're going to see a certain number of emperors born into the room on palanquins. Yeah, oh, no question. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Palanquin. <laughs> All right, coming up, James Reston said... The Illustrated Palanquin. Yeah, the, by Ray Bradbury. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Okay, coming up, James Reston Star said... Star Palanquin. Would that be Star Wars Palanquin? Yeah. Dune Palanquin. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. My mistake. Coming up, James Reston said... This is the very devilish thing about foreign affairs. They are foreign and will not always conform to our whim. Fiona Hill is here on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone when we come back. Hey, Paula. You know, 
every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured, like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i I think my eyes closed. They're so, it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kind of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway. Use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. 
That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Luciano Pavarotti's first wife said, you cheat on me again and it's going to be old solo you <laughs> Thank you, house band Corey Springhorn. Hey, Paula. Hey, Adam. What's you know, up? Adam... I'm not a historian. No. I didn't go to college. I know nothing of national security issues. I did, however, watch the underdog cartoon when I was a kid, and mm -hmm. I had the board game. So I have some understanding of evil, power lust, and threats of world domination. 
Sometimes I wonder if the virus, the anti-vaxxers, the big lie, QAnon, the white supremacists, the book-banning, relentless distraction from dealing with climate change, and my dog Moe's constant scratching is the work of underdog arch-villain mad scientist Simon Barsinister, or perhaps Putin. And I lie awake at night wondering why, why would Putin want my dog to scratch? <laughs> wow. Those are those are some very big questions, Paula. There's been a lot on my mind, Adam. I, well, I can't answer your question about Putin and why he wants your dog to scratch. But you know what? By extraordinary coincidence, we have someone here who probably can answer that question. What? No. no. Yeah, yeah. She is known by most of us for her powerful expert testimony before Congress in the first impeachment of Donald J. Trump. She is a former National Security Council official. She is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, and she is the author of the New York Times bestseller, There Is Nothing For You Here. We are so lucky to have her with us, Fiona Hill. Yay. Well, thank you. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much. I just, I spilled something. I just, oh, no. I said, yay. And then I knocked something <laughs> over and said shit, which is not a good introduction. Um, <laughs> well, I've, I've had, I've had worse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I, I, you know, I do know you from your powerful testimony during the impeachment hearings. It turns out, by the way, that there is a whole world of government that I know nothing about. What what was the title of your job and how did you get there? Well, the title of my most recent job was a bit fancy. It was very long, so you couldn't fit it all on a business card. It was Deputy Assistant to the President and Senior Director for Europe and Russia. See, doesn't really trip off the tongue that quickly, does it? No. No. It's big, though. <laughs> yeah, it's... it is big. It requires one of those really long cards if you're going to try to fit it on. <laughs> yep. So, you know, you, you get a lot of... Um, Shortening, little acronyms. So Deputy Assistant to the President is also DAP, which you know doesn't really sound the best, does it? <laughs> no. no. No, DAP. Um, so I was a DAP, actually. So what is so where where are you working when you do that job and what are you doing? Well that job we work in the National Security Council, uh, which is in a big building just across this little street called West Executive um, Avenue, uh, from the White House in the West Wing. It's a very big building, and we're all in there working away, trying to figure out, in fact, why Putin wants your dog to scratch, and then what we're going to do about it in terms of policy. All right. Among other things, of course, because it might not just be Putin. It could be Europeans. You know, that was my portfolio as well. It could have been, well, anyone, really. But, you know, I'll, I'll just give you a little um, uh, insight into what might be going on, because, you know, Putin knows when people have dogs or don't like dogs and you know well, there's a whole thing about dogs so the first time he met Ang Angela Merkel uh -huh. the Chancellor of Germany he heard she'd, she'd been bitten by a dog at some point when she was younger didn't like dogs so what does he do he introduces her to his black Labrador Connie they're sitting there in his um, you know uh, his his holiday home his home away from home where he often has all of these meetings and he has the, he has the dog come in and allows the dog to sniff around her feet just as a little test wow. i'm sure the dog does a bit of scratching as well because you know he would know that she wouldn't like that either he really is a cartoon <laughs> wow. villain isn't he he can be and there's even a whole cartoon strip about him in fact i've got a colleague um, who's um, turning putin's um, whole history into a graphic novel right now so not only is a cartoon villain but he'll shortly be a graphic novel coming to you 
<laughs> oh, that's a great idea. I read that. So yeah. when you work in that branch of the government, so you get up in the morning, you make your coffee, you you know, you change into your work clothes, you go in and you do what? Oh, well, you know, you we don't just sit about. I mean, obviously, but you 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 have briefings first of all. I used to start my day off every morning with um, having people coming over from the intelligence agencies telling me all the scary things that were happening in the area mm -hmm. that I covered, and then I'd have to think about that for a while and contemplate that over my coffee, and then you know think about what we were going to do about it, and then we go to a meeting and we might meet and talk about some of the stuff we just heard about, and then it could be that. Um, uh, some of the people we work with, the senior people, like the National Security Advisor, I worked for two of those in the time that I was in the government, which is actually a rather small number because given you know the time that I was in the administration, people were changing every five minutes. And so I might have worked for 10 National Security Advisors you know, under different circumstances. But we would go in and meet with the National Security Advisor and talk about some of the issues we just heard about, try to figure out if they were going to have a meeting with a, a key person. We might give them some briefings on this. Um, you know, actually, when you start to describe it, it sounds like we weren't doing very much, actually, doesn't it? When you just kind of start. No, no, no. <laughs> no I think there's something no. going on. <laughs> no, you've already yeah, had figuring meetings. how we're going to deal with a disaster or stave off a disaster. Sometimes that would come along. And then, you know, what would happen if Putin brought his dog? You know, we'd talk about that you know, right. at a meeting. Yeah, yeah, no, you are. So far, so far, you've had coffee and a couple of meetings already. Well, That's so, right. You know, um, I'm, I'm already tired, right? <laughs> yeah. In those briefings... Um, what kinds of things would they say? Would they say like, uh, you know, something bad is happening in, you know, I'm just picking a place, Italy? Would they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Terrible things happen in Italy. The Italians are often having elections and changing prime ministers. So actually, there was quite a lot to keep up on Italy. You know, I lost track of the number of prime ministers and foreign ministers and various defence secretaries during the time we were there. We were always worried that the Italians were you know, getting a bit close to the Chinese, for example. You know, they might be going out for meeting with the Chinese. We might be trying to kind of say, hey, hey, excuse me just a second. You know, we're not getting on very well with the Chinese. Could you just be careful uh, when you're right. having that meeting? You know, for example, uh -huh. something like that. And then um, were the Chinese, uh, rather, were the Italians maybe trying to sell too many fancy suits to Americans at cut, you know, cut rate prices, for example? Sometimes might happen. You know, a trade war with them or something, or, or, or some conflict of some description. I'm just, uh -huh. you know, yeah. thinking of some theoretical things with Italy. All right. Now, in terms of the sort of challenges uh, that we face, our whole political situation now, the not just the Ukrainian thing, but the um, just everything, every, everything, the book banning, the white supremacists, the QAnon, the anti-faxers, you, you get the idea. I, I find myself forever asking, how did we get here? And I have no idea. Have you been surprised by the relentless support for Trump, no matter what, or, or the politicization of the pandemic, the insurrection, the moral collapse of the Republican Party, or did you, Fiona Hill, see it all coming? <laughs> Unfortunately, I did see some of it coming um, because we've become, well, not quite like the Italians, but we've certainly become like pretty much everybody else at the moment. We have this populist moment. And in fact, you know, funnily enough, it was the Italians who first came up with the whole idea of populism, really, you know, kind of the kind of style of politics in which people go out and sort of talk about their connection with the people. And I'm going to do all of these things for you. And, you know, forget about representative government and all these other institutions. And here's a nice conspiracy theory for you. Um, you know, um, 
Remember the Russia, the the Italians also uh, came up with the word propaganda. Propaganda oh, was actually um, yeah. I I, I stayed in Rome. It sounds Italian now that you the, say it. it. Well, it is. It is. You know, <laughs> I stayed on the Via Propaganda in Rome once. I thought this is weird, and I and then I realised that it was um, you know during the early days of the church when the priests were getting sent out to propagate the message, it, that was propaganda. And then we, we kind of morphed this over time into, you know, the propaganda that we know and love today, which is oh. going around mostly selling out a lot of disinformation and uh, information to spare people politically. Is that a street then when you said you stayed on the Via yeah, Propaganda? There is there is a Via Propaganda in, in Rome down uh, towards the Spanish steps. Oh, wow. wow. Huh. Okay, um, so, so let's 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 circle back down back to, to, to Trump and um so it's it's what I guess it's 2017 when you take that that post in the White House, right? Yeah. And did you know immediately you were dealing with something weird and different? Pretty much first day on the job, yes, absolutely. I mean, I uh, ended up, you know, just putting this on a serious note for a moment. I, I'd gone into the administration because I was really worried about uh, not Putin's dog, but what Putin and the security service has been doing uh, um, in terms of propaganda. This is the theme here going. <laughs> yeah. uh, and trying to influence uh, the presidential election interfere in our election system. And so I'd been very concerned about that. I'd had a previous job while I was the National Intelligence Officer. So it sounds like also a strange title, right? Uh, and I'd been the chief analyst in the government looking at things related to Russia and coordinating all of the analysis for the intelligence services. And, you know, based on that previous job and all of the work that I'd been doing on Russia and Putin and everything else, I knew we were in big trouble. And, you know, the Russians had actually had a much more successful propaganda and influence operation in our elections than they'd had at any time. And, and this isn't for want of trying since the Cold War because of social media and all of our different vulnerabilities. What kind of things told you that, Fiona? What were the clues that told you that? Well, partly it was a lot of, you know, following what was going on in Russia and the Russian media, um, you know, kind of picking up on all kinds of things that was happening here. I still had a lot of contacts with colleagues that I worked with before mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, just closely following uh, the course of events. And, mm -hmm. you know, as soon as we saw Hillary Clinton's emails and the Democratic National Committee's emails being hacked and then released, it was classic that this was a, a Russia um, ploy, not just WikiLeaks and um, others involved, but it had all the hallmarks of a, of a Russian operation. And so I went into the government hoping to be able to do something about that. And, you know, day one on the job, I realised this is going to be much more difficult than I thought. You know, I had thought that President Trump, you know, once he was there as president, he had, of course, said that he was going to be super presidential when he actually got there into the presidency. Right. <laughs> right. And not so much. You know, he wasn't immediately <laughs> worrying about the Russian threat. And, you know, it kind of went a bit downhill from there. The first um, day on the job, I um, I didn't have one of those first great days of the office experiences. <laughs> My daughter had thrown up the entire night before oh, food geez. poisoning. Yeah, uh, you know, working mother hell nightmare just the night before, of, 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 you know, your first day on the job. I'd literally run to catch the Metro and left my shoes behind. I was running in sneakers. <laughs> and I left them behind at the door because I was so befuddled. I was just more worried about whether I'd puke all over me. And, you know, I was, I was kind of running off down there and thinking, oh, my God, you know, I hope I get there and I'm not going to, you know, people are going to, oh, what the heck's the matter with this person? And I thought I was going to be in an orientation session. The next minute I'm plucked out and told I have to go over to the Oval Office with General McMaster, who's the National Security Advisor, 
to brief Trump ahead of a phone call to Putin, a condolence call, because there's been a terrorist attack in the St. Petersburg metro. And I'm say what? I mean, you know, I've been up with a puking daughter all night. I knew nothing about a terrorist attack. I had my own domestic terrorist, you know, kind of ruining <laughs> the night before my first day on the job. So I'm completely and utterly befuddled. And then, of course, I'm looking down and go, ah, no shoes. So um, I try to borrow a pair of shoes. My feet are far too big. Yeah, I just then, uh, General McMaster says, come on, you, know, you could think of something to say. You, we can't mess around looking for shoes. You know, let's get over there. Stick your feet under the chair. The president will never look at you anyway. <laughs> he was right. He didn't even look up. Didn't see <laughs> wow. the same or anything. I give my little spiel about this is terrible. It's Putin's hometown. First attack on the St. Petersburg metro, which happened to be true. It was all I could think of as two at the time to say. And he'll be very upset and very put. This'll t- he'll take it personally. You know, great success. President Trump says, oh, this must be very personal for you. How terrible. The first time there's been a terrorist attack on the St. Petersburg Metro. I'm thinking, yay, scored that point. And then the phone call's finished and Ivanka Trump comes in. And not only is she, you know, kind of looking just amazing, but she's wearing this white lacy flowing outfit, these incredibly high stiletto heel shoes. She comes in. She sits down. First thing she sees the sneakers. And I'm like, busted. Wow. And, it, and, you know, it just never really improved from that point on. I was always, you know, caught in the equivalent of my sneakers. The president never paid any attention. I never got my moment to explain to him, you know, kind of all the things about Putin. And I also got to know pretty early on, you know, just getting back to your point, Adam, this was not going to be your ordinary presidency. Because, you know, first day on the job, there is the president's daughter who's already... Um, an advisor, and I kind of somehow not made that connection. And she's in the Oval Office pretty much for every meeting, you know, in those early uh. days that I was in. I think you got the better part of the deal, though. How's that? Well, <laughs> I, I, I'd rather be you with no sneakers than be Trump's daughter. I, well, I mean, you you with sneakers than be Trump's daughter. I hear that. <laughs> I'm without sneakers and with shoes, yeah, maybe. So when we talked earlier, you told me that in terms of briefing, the, remember what you told me about how the the president would say a fact and then and then you guys would be ordered to uh... yeah there would be some fairly surreal moments so you know as we all know president trump liked to wing it when it came to press conferences and actually pretty much most meetings it was very hard to you know give him information that he would retain and carry around for a while and then impart and many times he would half remember something he'd been told and um you know, you might we might remember during COVID the you know the the dreadful press conference where um, he talks about injecting oh gosh bleach yeah. and disinfectant <laughs> yeah. right so he's half yeah. remembered that bleach and disinfectant can be useful and he's remembered all these things but he hasn't kind of quite put it together and he thinks that anyway he gets himself confused and starts talking about injecting it well you know we'd we'd have that on many other issues um, it uh-huh. wouldn't necessarily you know. Uh, be quite so graphic and bizarre as that press conference but he'd often blurt out in um, an interview with the press and I'll give you an example so we were always in a spat with our NATO allies about the fact that they weren't paying their dues so there'd been an agreement before President Trump came into office uh, under Barack Obama that each NATO member would pay 2% of their GDP their gross national product uh, to uh, defence uh, so towards the collective defence. So 2% of their GDP would be taken up by defence spending. And let's just say most of our NATO allies were not anywhere near making that um, that 2%. And 
President Trump went on a tear about this because as far as he was concerned, this is like being the owner of a condo building and people are not paying, you know, their condo fees or, you know, they're just... I mean, he literally saw it in that uh, respect. Or this is protection money and they're not paying for the security services. You know, so they're, they're just not doing what they undertook. And he was correct, they weren't. But then he would start to get himself in a... Um, you know, basically, uh, he'd just get himself really angry and irate about all of this. And he'd start to exaggerate what the US did towards NATO. Now, the US is the heavy lift in NATO. We do pay, you know, for quite a lot more than everybody else and, you know, because we have a larger GDP, et cetera, et cetera. But he would say something like, we pay for 100% of NATO. And everybody would be like, <laughs> well, yeah, we don't actually. You know, we could work out various sort of percentages that it was very hard to say that we'd pay 100%. But we'd have to go and figure out some fact that would actually back this up. So it wouldn't look like he just plucked this, you know, figure from absolutely nowhere. And we'd have to look back and see, was there anything anywhere that we paid for 100% of? You know, for example, you know, in some operation, did we pay 100% of the cost for a plane? You know, or did we pay 100% of the cost for sending some guys over there? You know, so and we'd be constantly running back and looking for something to say, well, when the president was saying that we pay 100%, he was, of course, referring to this particular operation on this particular mm. day where 100% of the planes that flew over there in, you know, this, this short period of time were paid for by the United States. So we'd so, always have to be kind of looking for something because, of course, he was the president of the United States and him saying something that was just kind of plucked from the sky was obviously going to undermine the the point that he was making. Because uh, the point that he was making was actually to try to get the, the the Allies to step up. But the Allies were like, pa, that's just not, that was just rubbish. Of course, the United States would pay 100%. And then they'd be like, well, okay, so you pay 100%, so why are you asking us to pay anything? You know, so you'd get into these, you know, ridiculous diplomatic spats because he, in the interest of trying to cajole them and, you know, bully them into... Uh, living up to their dues was just plucking something out of the air to it was a bit of hyperbole to kind of get them going so you had to, uh, you had to devote an unexpected amount of time just making the president seem less stupid so that the united states had like a coherent position yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> <laughs> not all the time you could be said there was some of that yes there was you had some to reverse engineer his 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 claims that's a great way of putting it that's yeah. better um, yes, that's the technical term for it. When you would speak with, say, your counterpart then in one of these countries when he had made such a claim, did they ever say to you, well, that doesn't make sense? Well, that, well, oh, yeah, minute, all the time. But, well, of course, and all the time. We'd have to say, well, look, the point the president's making, obviously, right, is a valid one, <laughs> which is that you're only paying right now 1.3% of um, GDP towards defence. Yeah, and you promise to do too. And if you did do two, he wouldn't be saying these things, would he? You know, so there was, there was an element of this as well. <laughs> because it's actually true. If they had been paying 2%, and, and you know, actually, in some respects, you have to give it to him, you know, for, for gumption, you know, basically, not spur, you know, for basically trying to kind of call them to account. Because previous presidents had also tried to get them to step up and defence secretaries, but they hadn't really paid any attention. So, you know, Trump was a really kind of blunt force, you know, punch forward, you know, to get them right between the eyeballs and to, you know, get them to step up. But fortunately, they didn't always step up because they just got annoyed. Oh, well, well, at least he tried blunt force. You know, Nelson Mandela said the United States has made some serious mistakes in the conduct of foreign affairs, which have had unfortunate repercussions long after the decisions were taken. Little did he know we were just getting warmed up. More with Fiona Hill when we come back. 
The cat of the week is Koba from Black Mountain, North Carolina. Hey, nobodies. Uh, I told Adam um, that I needed to talk to you about my female problems, and so he's not on right now. Um, but really, I just wanted to let you know that I'm back out on the road. So check my website, paulapoundstone.com, to see when I'll be near you. And we're back with Fiona Hill. Paula. Um, yeah, so what else about working with Trump? Wait, you do have experience with other presidents, right? I do, yeah. I um, I worked for um, both the Bush, uh, George W. Bush administration and the Barack Obama administration in its uh, first year. So I transitioned from one to the next when I was National Intelligence Officer. Yep, so... So you noticed right away then, I assume, that there was a different feeling about this situation. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, immediately so. Um, <laughs> all kinds of, let's just say, chaotic moments that um, <laughs> perhaps I hadn't quite anticipated. I mean, a lot of people obviously accuse Trump um, of being in league with Putin as opposed to just being used by him um, uh, in, in terms of uh, the election and, and thereafter. What was your personal sense about that? Did you feel like he was he knew what he was doing or was it just chaos? Look, I think from um, Trump's point of view, as a business person, somebody who's running his own business, that's kind of how he pretty much thought that the government was going to run. And he looked at Trump, uh, Trump looked at Putin as another sort of CEO, family businessman. You know, he, he said um, that, you know, uh, Putin was strong, he was powerful in his view, and he was running the country like it was his own, uh, which is actually a pretty good analysis of uh, of Russia from the point of view of a of Russian analyst as well. You know, <laughs> Putin has uh, become fabulously rich, and as president of Russia, he's got all of these things that he owns. You know, the Kremlin has amazing amounts of property, and, um, you know, he doesn't have a lot of checks and balances on his position there. And, you know, Trump looked at Putin and thought, hey, I wouldn't mind that either. So that was kind of part of uh, the issue was that uh, Trump thought that as the CEO of a family company trying to run the country like an extension of that, then it was up to him to kind of charm Putin, sit down, and they're just like businessman to businessman, CEO to CEO, they'd get things done and they'd do a deal. And in some respects, he kind of called it right from uh, the Russian perspective because it's a very hierarchical system with the president on top and no political parties and, you know, nobody else really out there that, that can matters. But, of course, the United States isn't supposed to be like that. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> there's, there's not just one guy that matters, um, irrespective of, you know, what they say. There are 330 million of us. You know, the executive branch is an actual executive branch. There's supposed to be other people in it as well. There's all the cabinet members and all the other parts of the government. There's actually Congress. Um, you know, in Russia, the the Duma, the Russian parliament, equivalent to Congress, is very much a rubber stamp. Um, the the Russian state is all there, but it's very much subservient to you know, directives from the Kremlin. And you know, of course, Trump looks at that and says, "Hey, what's there not like to like?" You know, that looks that looks pretty good to me. But all the stuff yeah. that Putin was doing to us isn't that something not to like? Wouldn't he, as a businessman, wouldn't he engage on the idea that that this other business is spying on us and trying to mess with us and like like? 
Well, from his point of view, we were doing the same to them because he always makes this kind of equivalency. And, you know, might remember some of the journalists would say to him, well, Putin's a killer. He said, we don't have killers here too. You know, Putin does this. We don't do that too. You know, so he was always kind of jumping into the same space that Putin would and say, well, look, you know, we're not exactly perfect. But the interesting thing is he didn't necessarily try to stop the government from sanctioning the Russians or taking strong action. So it was more about Putin than it was about Russia. So he did, you know, understand, because it's about Putin and what Putin stands for as a person. Because Trump was pretty enamoured of autocrats writ large. Um, he liked President Xi of China, and you can be sure, and of course we know, he didn't really like China all that much, and certainly didn't like China from the trade perspective or you know, China's rise as a military power. He liked President Erdogan of Turkey. And he kind of liked Turkey because he'd built some buildings there in Istanbul. They kept talking about his Trump Towers in Turkey. But he wasn't that enamoured about Turkey. Uh, but he was always joking with Erdogan, saying he was the sultan and, you know, sort of admiring the fact that Erdogan seemed to have unrivaled power. And then he liked the Queen of England, who isn't, you know, exactly some <laughs> autocrat, authoritarian type. But she's, you know, really well respected. Everybody knows who the Queen of England is. She's rich, not as rich as she used to be because there's all these billionaires now, but she's the Queen of England. You know, she has an orb, a crown, a scepter, loads of palaces and castles, lots perhaps of gold-plated toilets, you know, who knows? She's certainly got the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And, you know, so there was a pattern there. Celebrity, rich, famous, powerful, perceptions of being powerful. So, you know, after a period of time and observing this, I realised it wasn't just Putin, and it certainly wasn't Russia, but it was just a type and, yeah. you know, Trump said that to Bob Woodward in those interviews on tape. You know, he said, hey, you know, I like the strong men. I'm not too keen on the others. Do you think when Trump would say stuff like, oh, don't we, you know, don't we kill people here too, that sort of thing, was that really for the audience of one, of Putin? I mean, he wasn't saying that to endear himself to Americans. I think he was saying that just because that's what he thought. Um, there wasn't much difference between the public, private Trump. Um, you know, in some respects, he would just say, you know, what was on his mind. I mean, he would often, you know, kind of, well, I mean, everybody saw him. He'd retweet all kinds of crazy things that he'd, you know, read because they resonated with him. Um, it could be from anybody, um, you know, not anybody particularly important, just some you know, random person who tweeted something that he kind of liked. He would, you know, speak openly um, about whatever was on his mind. I mean, I, I saw that with world leaders. You know, we had us, we, we hoped we might have a bit of a script. We'd spend you know, days preparing these briefing packages and then, you know, we'd condense them down to maybe a couple of flashcards, you know, the kind of thing that my teenager is doing right now for a biology quiz. And, you know, we just had a hope that he would, you know, read, um, you know, some of those and, you know, impart it. But usually he would go off on a tangent on something he was thinking about at the time. So, for example, if he wanted to talk about climate change, he'd go on a rant about windmills, the right. big ones, you know, not just like, you know, little windmills, you know, like the, the Netherlands with tulips around them, but those giant, huge, you know, wind turbines. And he'd go on and on. And he had to point of course they're not very attractive and you know he'd talk about his hotels in Europe um, where there'd be a wind turbine being built and how it spalt the view and then he'd go on and on about migratory birds I had no idea he liked birds that much and he'd talk about all the birds <laughs> that would get decimated you know by the wind turbines and again he had a point but he would just go on randomly and it became you know quite clear that he didn't like wind turbines so he, he would you know kind of talk about all of these things but you kind of think to yourself could he 
could he get back? We had a different agenda here. <laughs> and then, you know, sometimes he would just say something, you know, really outrageous because he'd been thinking about it. And we'd go, oh, God, damage limitation. And we'd have a code in our office like, spurge on aisle eight. And we'd have to kind of, you know, run over to try to figure out how we were going to clean it up afterwards. And I mean, I'm, I'm making fun of it now and laughing about it, but, you know, often at the time it wasn't quite so funny. No. Um, <laughs> now, w- w- the, the, the Russians had the... Uh, oh, by the way, okay, wait, I wanted to ask you this. So there's recently this thing about the, what is it, the Alpha Bank uh, or something, a thing just came out about a, uh, they were hiding correspondence between the Trump Organization and a bank um, in, in Russia, I believe. Um did you think there was anything to his banker at the Deutsche Bank retiring? Look, I, I um, didn't follow all of that stuff in detail. I think, you know, what we do know, um, which is completely separate from anything to do with the Russians, is that, um, you know, President Trump was pretty um, keen on hiding all of the financial information about his business. Um, and, you know, this was a point that I kept trying to make to people when they were fixated on, you know, what have the Russians got on Trump? I was like, we've got stuff on Trump. You know, people <laughs> say, oh, there's this P tape. I was like, there's an Access Hollywood tape. We've all heard that one, you know, and then and then people say, but there might be prostitutes in Moscow. There seems to be them in America as well, right? You know, so, I mean, it was kind of like, um, I mean, the guy was shameless and brazen about everything that he'd ever done and, you know, kind of, he's never really been, you know, held to account on some of these, you know, personal things that that that, um, that he's done, you know, b- before the presidency and many things during. So, you know, kind of, the Russians didn't really have much room if, if they had anything to kind of trot that out. You know, it's his niece who provided the information about the um, the tax returns, you know, she, she's admitted and written a whole book about, you know, kind of what she knows, Mary Trump, about, you know, her uncle. Right. I mean, she's been probably much more forthcoming than the Russians about information and probably had a lot of stuff that they couldn't possibly have had, you know, from kind of early parts of the life. So, you know, really what what the impact of the Russians was, and I talk about this a bit in the book, is that they, they knew that they could flatter him because... President Trump has a very thick skin. I mean, you know, let's just hope he's not listening to this podcast because I'll get another statement. He issued a statement about me when <laughs> the book came out the first week. He's telling me I was terrible at my job. I was glad he'd noticed because I thought he hadn't. <laughs> and then, you know, he says at the end, he calls me a deep state stiff with a nice accent. So he'd notice my accent. Yeah, I'm going, uh, thank you again. Badge of honour. So the other, um, you know, issue is that um, Putin, of course, notices this, as many other world leaders do, do not criticise Trump. And so they go over the top on flattery. And it's not just Putin. Remember, uh, Prime Minister Abe of Japan invites Trump, uh, President Trump to some event that he's never held before for any other world leader. There's even a Trump uh, trophy for a sumo wrestling competition. Wow. Uh, President Macron of France invites him up the Eiffel Tower for a very special just-for-you Donald dinner. The Saudis just go crazy and they spend millions and millions and millions of um, rials and dollars and have this extravaganza with a big golden orb that they all commune around and and the entire country comes out and you know takes part in festivities and things and i mean just mind was blowing about you know that's probably like the gdp of half of scandinavia all blown on you know one you know one one event and so putin would just you know flatter him 
he would always kind of be very careful not to say anything that could be taken as a criticism. And there was one occasion when Putin appeared on Russian television, knowing full well there was a big debate about how the economy was doing in the US. And he starts praising the stock market rise, just as President Trump had been doing, praising um, President Trump's handling of the economy. And the next thing President Trump says, I want to talk to Putin. And we're like, no, because this is a period when everybody went nuts every time um, he and Putin spoke because they'd immediately think they were you know, doing something or other nefarious right. on the phone. Forgetting, of course, it has to be translated and lots of us are listening. So you know, kind of it's a bit <laughs> difficult to do something right. clandestine and nefarious when you've got you know, 20 people listening in and it has to be translated in the first place. But, you know, he just basically wanted to talk to him because he said something nice about me. It's exactly what he said. Oh. I want to talk to him because he said something nice about me. Boy, that never even occurred to me. Now, the Russians had that warehouse full of, of workers. What was it called again? The Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg. Yeah, and I think they worked like 24-7 uh, using social media to spread basically Trump stuff. Um, and I was, I was struck at the end of, of your impeachment hearing testimony when you said that Americans were carrying the very messages that the Russians wanted us to spread. Why? Uh well, look, the whole operation in 2016 when the Russian security services intervened with this propaganda and um, uh, all this influence operation and they actually had people pretend to be Americans. So they recruited a whole bunch of Russians who were English-speaking. Sometimes you could tell because <laughs> the English is a bit off. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, kind of a lot of people can't spell very well and, you know, kind of I'm, I'm guilty myself, you know, quick messages and things. But anyway, you had a whole uh, a bunch of Russians pretending to be Americans. And what they were looking for was the most divisive, inflammatory commentary on uh, the internet, which, you know, is saying something because there's a heck of a lot of divisive inflammatory commentary out there on Facebook and, you know, Twitter. And, you know, basically they would just amplify it. They'd spread it around, you know, so they'd, they'd pose as people from different uh, sides of an argument. You know, somebody who might be, you know, pro-life, pro-abortion or pro-gun, anti-gun or, you know, this, that and the other. And then they'd kind of, you know, basically... Um, just try to make the whole situation work, literally putting fuel onto already the burning fire. So they didn't invent anything. Uh, you know, what, what they would do was just find uh, the information that was most likely to get people going, you mm -hmm. know, and spread around conspiracy theories. And sometimes there were our own conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. There's one actually really interesting thing here is how it's really come back to bite them because they've been doing this for a long time. In fact, I mean, they've been doing this since uh, the Russian Revolution and the Cold War, the, the Russians have often, um, you know, been spreading rumours around, spreading dissent. And in fact, you know, the game of, um, I'm just digressing for a second, just because I think this is a fun fact, the game of telephone you know, yeah. that we all play as kids. Mm -hmm. Well, back in the day, it used to be called Russian Scandal because oh. this was kind of back in the 19th century, the Russians would go, psst, you know, in some kind of marketplace in some distant part of corner of maybe India or Central Asia. Have you heard the one about? And then they'd sort of wait to see, you know, how that would uh, that would go about everywhere. Yeah. Their own propaganda's come back to bite them because we have plenty of anti-vaxxers here in the United States and the Russians, um, right at the very beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, once the vaccines were starting to get developed, they start talking down all the Western vaccines. So they, you know, basically talk about all the, you know, a lot of the anti-vax um, uh, misinformation was coming from the Russians, though, again, plenty from here too. Well, that's actually had a massive problem in Moscow because, and, and in Russia overall, because a lot of people in Russia don't trust the state either. And all this anti-vax propaganda came back to them too. 
Oh. Initially, the intent, once they'd invented their own vaccine, Sputnik, was to make Sputnik better than the other vaccines. But the Russians are like, huh, they're telling us Sputnik's better and these other vaccines aren't any good. Or maybe none of the vaccines are any good. So oh, only about 30, 35% of Russians have been vaccinated. Now they've got the worst period in the whole pandemic in terms of infection rates and oh. death rates. And now, on the one hand, Putin's trying to get everyone to get vaccinated. And this is one of the reasons why he didn't go off to the G20 and this, uh, you know, the big uh, Glasgow climate summit, because so many people are sick and they've had to close the, the country down again. But they're trying, on the one hand, domestically to get people vaccinated on the other hand their propaganda machine is still talking about you know kind of the dangers of vaccines huh. so it's they've got themselves in a bind here do you think average russians like trump i think you know a lot of um, people were entertained by trump and he fed into a lot of Russians' perceptions that we were just full of it, you know, that we'd been going around the world for ages saying how wonderful we were, how exceptional we were, how well organised we were, how capable we were of everything, telling them how to run their elections, telling them how to do this, and then, oh, right, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, know, I think a lot of Russians were, well, well, welcome to the world. And I've had a lot of Russians who I know who kind of you know, said to us, so how does it feel? <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, Tell and then they said, "How does it feel good. to be a dissident?" You know, so for me and other people who've been speaking out and uh, um, be like, "Well, yep, you're my favorite dissident." Yes, and at least <laughs> you know you get to speak out, which is which is something that we, I think we still well, yes, have I mean, over some other countries. That's something we do we do we do have that, and that's really very important. And I and you know for all of the issues that we've got going on in the United States, we've got this chance in all these different formats to actually speak out about it and to you know have um make fun of it a bit as well because if we were making fun of it in russia you know um paul would be on our way to the penal colony number 11 by now you know so and, and you Adam, wouldn't be far behind yeah making fun of putin now yeah no? <laughs> i definitely would have been a candidate for the poisoned underwear which i thought was just yeah, the meanest a, yeah. uh, attack of all well, that is really saying something, isn't it? And Alexei Navalny, the opposition figure who survived the poisoned underwear, um, is indeed in one of those penal colonies <laughs> right now. And and, and his uh, he, and he basically started calling Putin, you know, um, grandpa underwear, you know. <laughs> so you said you know, it was um you know underdog, um, it was like underpants, you know, kind of Putin underpants. Yeah, yeah. It was kind Captain of underpants. Captain yep. underpants. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, president underpants in that in his case. <laughs> Well, Fiona, that was just spectacular. I could really talk to you and Paula. Could, we could talk to you all day and all night, but we can't. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to take all this information that you've given us and run it through the old pounce-tonator. Paula? How's been Corey Springhorn from Shoreview, Minnesota on the trumpet? You sound fabulous. I imagine when your last name is Springhorn, you are forbidden to play a stringed instrument. If I could get you, Mr. Springhorn, to give me a little background music, I'll tell you what the old Pounce-tonator spit out. Fiona Hill has shared with us her amazing experience and insight. She is one of the most brilliant people I have ever even known about. And I know it would be a colossal waste of her brains, her courage, and her essence to have her work for me doing that reverse engineering of the shit I say. But I sure <laughs> wish she could fill that role. When Paula says she works all the time, she's considering messing around on Twitter as part of a job. I, I could say, I, I don't know why I don't have a lot of energy, I eat very healthy, 
And she could say, Paula eats a lot of Ruffles potato chips, but they did start out being potatoes, didn't they? Which is a vegetable with a bit of fiber and some protein. They can't be sure that nougat doesn't contain antioxidants, can they? Or I could say I use my brain a lot, and she could say, the brain is quite active during the REM cycle. Or I went to Harvard. She did. She taped an HBO special there. Or my book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, is a bestseller. Well, that's among the books that she personally sells. It does very well compared to the other books that she sells. Or the majority of my life is spent cleaning up animal waste. Well, that's actually true. Her life is quite gross. <laughs> she is a former National Security Council official and author of the New York Times bestseller, There Is Nothing For You Here, now also available on audiobook, which she will read to you. Thank you so much, Fiona Hill, everybody. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was wonderful. Coming up, Thomas Hobbes famously called life nasty, brutish, and short. And he never met our fans. It's Mailbag coming up next. Fun fact. Despite its name, white chocolate doesn't contain any actual chocolate, a fact that scientists say can be best verified by, quote, tasting that nasty shit. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Thank you, Corey Springhorn. Now, Paula, something happened. Something happened. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. After we said goodbye to Fiona Hill, we had an extra conversation with her. We just kept gabbing. And it turned out we were still recording, and we thought it was uh, interesting enough that we want to share it with everybody right here. I could listen to her for the rest of my life. She's amazing. I am with you on that. And so with that in mind, what we're going to do is instead of doing mailbag which we will do next week, we're going to give you the the back end of our conversation with Fiona Hill. Here it is. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just say that one more time. Instead of doing what? Instead of doing mailbag. <laughs> what, a, what a disaster <laughs> that was. <laughs> we're going to listen to the rest of our conversation with Fiona Hill right now. Fiona, really, that was just just wonderful. I, we really, I had like a, a million more questions for you. How, how, do, how, do, how do the political things usually go down with the, um, with the with the podcast audience? I think our audience is somewhat reflective of the way that I think. Yeah. I had breakfast with someone who was a colleague of yours. Oh, yeah. Largely from the State Department, but he briefed the same three presidents that you have on um, matters usually relating to terrorism funding. It was Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch, yeah. What he said was that he felt like Trump was the least curious guy he'd ever briefed, and he ran away from that fire. He went he went to become a private consultant, but you ran right towards it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I did feel our house was on fire, and I better rescue the goldfish or something, you know. It kind of felt like we had to try to do something. Um, but then, you know, we all got singed <laughs> to get out <laughs> yeah. and make a retreat. But it was, it was worth it. I still think it was worth doing it. I would do it again, but I, if 
Trump comes in in 2024, I would just say, <laughs> run for the exit. Um, because I don't think anybody kind of really going in, the people who are still in the government, I just hope they'll stay on there and, you know, try to keep things together. But um, I wouldn't advise people, knowing what I know now, if this isn't the second time around, there's just no way. I think we're going to be in really big trouble. We might well be in the gulag or headed towards, you know, penal colony, God knows where. In it feels that way for sure. Because there'll be a lot of vengeance, and you know, people like, people like me really will be like dissidents. I've, I've actually got the, the the Save America statement framed just up on my shelf over here. The statement of which I was terrible at my job, you know, my, my very belated um, oh, gosh. job performance review. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just to remind me. Were either of you following what was happening in Dallas? Oh, with the JFK thing? With the QAnon people. Hundreds of people showed up in Dealey Plaza, the site of the Kennedy assassination, because they thought John F. Kennedy Jr. was going to appear there possibly with Trump and uh, take oh back the presidency. God. Yeah. We've gone, we've gone into a really strange earlier time. These are the kinds of things that used to happen in other centuries. You yes. know, the kind of like that rumors would spread and there'd be a peasant's revolt, <laughs> for example. <laughs> or somebody would kind of like storm the Bastille, you know, something like this. I mean, this is not something you expect in the 21st century that... Um, no. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's like, it's just like plucked out of the pages of weird history. Mm-hmm. But in the old days, like, there's something so supernatural about some of this weird shit that people are saying. Yes. I mean, it just shows that we've never really kind of gone past that, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, I think we have a, a bigger problem than COVID, and maybe, a, you know, COVID has exacerbated, is that we have a pandemic of uh, mental health problems, and they're just soaring. Yeah. And I think also... The conspiracy theories are part of that because people are trying to soothe themselves by telling themselves that they understand uh, what's going on in this complex time. I really do think that the brain has to play tricks on you, you know, when <laughs> you're getting overload. And I think that's where conspiracy theories come from because people need to have an explanation. Yeah. And, and even if it's ridiculous, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll jump onto that explanation. It's no coincidence that a lot of the people who are into the conspiracy stuff are also um, quite religious. A lot of evangelical yeah. Christians yeah. in the United States. It's yeah. just, and if you if you read their stuff, they're starting to synthesize those things. Yeah, you know the Trump and JFK stuff and all the Q stuff has taken on a lot of re religious mythos too. Well, I, I mean, I come from a part of the world in the north of England where there was like a, every town had a myth of fairies and goblins and you know oh, really? kind of sprites and yeah. I mean, we, we just because you know it's a bit bleak up there, <laughs> strange <laughs> things happen. You know, so people always have to have an explanation, and I think that's kind of in these kinds of times. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you go back to the Victorian era, I, I, I come from not too far away from that famous place where there's the, the two girls who invented these fairies on a film, you know, that were really kind of cut out. Right. And everything from Arthur Conan Doyle and, you know, Sherlock Holmes and people believed in it because they wanted something to believe in. It was kind of, you know, the bleak part of the Victorian era. And everybody wanted a little bit of hope and, you know, they wanted to believe in fairies. So they did. Wow. Hundreds of adults believed in this and traveled over to see the place where these kids had very elaborate cutouts of fairies. That seems so much more benign. Yes, it was benign. Yes, this isn't so <laughs> benign, is it? These are not really kind of nice little sprites. These are kind of, you know, pedophiles and uh, murderers and, you know, God knows what, uh, that kind of people have got stories around. So are you saying there are no fairies? I'm a little heartbroken. <laughs> no, there are fairies. There are fairies. There are oh, thank fairies. goodness. Yeah, don't worry. Oh, geez. I, uh, oh, my heavens. All right. Can I send you, uh, can I send you the occasional question on email? Of course you can. It would be lovely. I'd love to stay in touch. And I, oh, I would love I would to like be able too. to come and see you if it wasn't for this 
this wedding. Yeah. You, you know, know what? Kind of, uh, Why don't you contact them and see if you can get them to move the wedding? <laughs> yeah, I can try them again. I can try them again. This will be the third time that they've changed it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, Paula, but I felt like that was worth it. It was worth sacrificing mailbag. I think it was worth sacrificing mailbag. Um, yes. You know, aren't you glad that I didn't have any notes for Fiona Hill? You mean glockenspiel notes? Yeah. If she was trying to talk to us about Putin and the Russian influence, what if I just kept going? <laughs> Fiona Hill. Yeah, that's... Uh, Fiona. Yeah, and she would have... She would have been living where where we're living now. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, 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 Adam, we haven't talked yes. about this in a while, but it remains true that we have really enjoyed making Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, the comedy podcast, which some would describe as delicious comedy wrapped around an informative, chewy nougat. However... The only way we can keep making the podcast is if we can grow the number of listeners that we reach. And the best way to do that, of course, is by word of mouth. Each listener sharing with a friend how listening to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone has changed their lives. That's true. The That's problem true. is that many listeners don't feel comfortable talking to their friends about their relationship with our podcast. So I have written some simple sample dialogue to dissolve the hair in that drain. Try this. <laughs> Listener's friend. Are you sure you're okay? You're bleeding. Listener. Yeah, I'll be fine. We'd better wrap that duct tape around him a couple more times. Listener's friend, sir, we are turning you over to the police the minute we land. Listener, not too tight now. Listener's friend, I'd like to make it tight. There, I think that should do it. I'll make the announcement. We've had an incident with a passenger assaulting one of our flight attendants, Brenda, in the forward cabin when asked to pull his mask up over his nose. In compliance with federal law, the violent nose peeper has been restrained and our flight must now be diverted to the Denver airport, where many of you will be rebooked to your final destination of Rome, Italy. Some of you may wish to make your way to the rental car center down the escalator to the first floor and drive the remainder of the trip. We'll be landing in 90 minutes. <laughs> Listener, I can't seem to get these earbuds to stay in his ears. Listener's friend, what are you doing? Why are you putting earbuds in his ears? Listener, I have an episode of Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone downloaded on this sticky thing, and I was going to play it for him. Listener's friend, you what? What's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone? Listener, it's a comedy podcast. I never told you this before because I didn't feel comfortable talking to you about it. See, Adam? But I'm a nobody listens to Paula Poundstone listener. Listener's friend. Okay, but why do you want this asshole to listen to it? Listener. Well, I don't know what's wrong with people these days. It feels like we're in a sea of stress and discord. But when I listen to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, I get laughing so hard sometimes. It's such a relief. I feel human again. 
I feel like I belong with that madcap cast, Captain Crinkle Bonnie Burns, who's been Paula's manager for 27 years now. She hasn't gotten off her lawn furniture in her backyard for the last year and a half, and it's been the most productive time in her life. She bangs out brilliant book club theme song after brilliant book club theme song. Listener's friend, shouldn't there just be one theme song? I mean, isn't that the point of a theme song? Listener, you'd think so, huh? (laughs) Then there's Tony Anita Hull, who's practically grown up there on the podcast and dreams of nothing but sucking in her last ragged breath on a cruise. (laughs) There's the emotionally stunted misogynist Mike Boom Boom Bonifit and Mrs. Culpepper, who Adam endlessly reminds of the passing of her beloved husband at the hand of bad cheese. Oh, and there's Adam Felber himself, who's on every episode. Listener's friend but why do you want this guy to listen to it? (laughs) Listener, I just think it might make him feel human too. Listener's friend, he punched you in the nose. Listener, all the more reason. If nobody listens to Paula Poundstone, gets through to him and changes his heart, he could maybe win a contest some week and get the prize of a Zoom party with Paula and Adam and 50 of his inmate friends. Listener's friend, hey, the asshole's laughing. Listener, I'll bet he's at the part where Betsy Brandt plays a rookie cop. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's a helpful it's, dialogue. It's, that, I guess it's a helpful dialogue. It's, it's, it's very specific. Yeah. Well, there has been, sadly, an outbreak of people behaving really badly on airplanes. Yeah. And so this is something that could, could happen. Yeah. You know, I don't want to harp on this, but I do want to point out that in a simple sample dialogue where our podcast is described in so much detail, it kind of is a glaring fact that this person also just had to say about me that I am on every show. You are, though. No, but it it really stood out this time is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, you are on every episode. Congratulations. Well, thank you. But you're on every episode, too. Yeah. So's Bonnie. Yeah. But I feel like there might someday be something else to say about me, Paula. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. Hey, nobodies, if you have questions or comments, drop us a line at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. That's also where you could send recommendations for our new book club. What do you want us to read? It's not a new book club. The book club is the same. It's a new book for the book club to read. Oh, Lordy. It's been like two years since stickle was a vocabulary word on this show, and I feel like some people have forgotten it. Hey, Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? Well, Adam, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, is a holistic company. We care about the quality of our products as well as the quality of the lives of our employees. That's why we have lots of events and special occasions to keep their spirits up in these difficult years. This year, we're doing our employees' favorite company tradition. The happier the company, the happier the customer. Oh, Jesus, not secret turkey again. We leave our Thanksgiving leftovers on the doorstep of a coworker whose name we pick from a hat. It's gross. Listeners can purchase Poundstone Pussy Pillows, handmade four and a half by five inch catnip stuffed pillows with a cat joke on one side and personally autographed to their cat on the other, including a grommet so you can tie a string to it to keep your cat active at the store at paulapoundstone.com. Also, 
For $4 a pound plus shipping, you can give your plants their favorite treat, worm poop from the funniest farm in the world. Just email me at paula at paulapoundstone.com. The address is also on my website, paulapoundstone.com. I'd tell you more, of course, but Heidi. <laughs> oh, Heidi. Hey, Heidi, listen up. This guy. I tell you, his name is Charles Band. Marilyn Monroe was his first babysitter. He made over 300 movies. He once bought Dino De Laurentiis' Italian movie studio for no money down. He gave Demi Moore her first starring role, and they had an affair. He gave Helen Hunt her first starring role, and they didn't have an affair. And I co-wrote his memoir, which is out in bookstores right now. That's right. By the time you're hearing the sound of my voice, uh, Confessions of a Puppet Master by Charles Band with Adam Felber is in your stores. So what I recommend is that you walk out to your store right now, put your headphones on so you can keep listening to the end of this podcast, and buy the book. Solid recommendation. Yeah, you know, you know what, Paula? I'm told in the book business that first week is everything. And yeah. I ran the numbers. If every single listener of Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone were to buy that book right now, you know what would happen? No. Number one on the bestseller list. Wow, that would be fantastic. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so go buy it. Confessions of a Puppet Master. You can even just click on it on Amazon.com. They've got it, too. All right, subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. And if there's a subject or topic that you'd like to know about, let us know at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. They can also leave a review. Did you mention that? You could leave a review on uh, for us on uh, Apple Podcasts. That's the best place to do that. We have a lot of chores for our listeners to do. <laughs> yeah, mainly okay. buy my book and ignore all the other ones. No, listeners, if you could just take out a piece of paper right now and begin your list of things to do, subscribe to the podcast, buy Adam's book, uh, review the show on Apple Podcasts. Anything else, Adam? Yeah, they got to suggest a new book for the book club. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It's a lot of work. A lot of chores for our listeners. It's a lot of chores. Again, it's my book, Confessions of a Puppet Master. That's our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. It's hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Fiona Hill. Oh, Yay! Wow. We love you, Fiona. Thanks to our house band, Corey Springhorn. Yay! Yay! Thank you, Corey. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Starburns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Vic, I hope we treated the microphone like an ear this week. Uh, I think I shouted into the ear a few times, Vic. Sorry. And by the way, we want to thank the voice talent of Paul Matlock. Yes, we do. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Um, listeners, if you're uh, if you're still listening at this point, there's a couple other things Paula and I want to. What the other things? Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, the uh, cleaning closet needs organized. Um, yeah, Tony's just and, not doing it. Yeah, and also if you could. Um, if you could empty the canister on my vacuum cleaner and also flip it over and see why the um, the rotating brush isn't working right. Could you just jot that down? That's R-O-T-A-T-I-N-G. Yeah, we're going to need somebody to go up to Bonnie Burns' place in Simi Valley. <laughs> and, oh, my um, God. You're going to have to break into the house, <laughs> hang some blinds, 
Well, after you break into the house, the keys are right there on the floor. Just grab the keys. You can lock it lock it when you leave, yeah. Yeah, and um, there's some more things that need done at Bonnie's house. They're on the whiteboard. I don't think the whiteboard's hung yet. Um, so the whiteboard's probably, my guess is, under the couch cushion. Or near the keys, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. She could have dropped it just when she came in the house. I have a bad feeling she drops a lot of things just inside the house. She does, she does. You know, and if you hear a banging from upstairs, you might want to go up there to the shower and let the famous Broadway actor out. He's been oh, my God. <laughs> it's Zero Mustel. Go ahead. It's Zero Mustel. <laughs> She's kept him up there like baby Jane <laughs> yeah, kept misery. her sister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All yeah. right. But you are uh, Zero. <laughs> Stop it, it's a, podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.